1: Coming up on Dirty Air. This will be my 71st year. A sit down with the King of NASCAR. I always told him if my name had been Joe or Bill, it wouldn't be King Joel, Joe or (laughs) Richard just happened to make it work with King. Richard Petty won 200 races and seven championships. The
0: King set the standard every driver has chased ever since.
1: I ran my very first race in 1958, I think. And maybe one person came up And got an autograph. Today, he looks back over a career that included fierce rivalries. He made me better. I think I made him better. I think we challenged each other. And it probably made both of us better drivers against the other drivers. He also had his fair share of bad days. One of those deals where it was more spectacular uh, than it hurt. You know, of course, tore the car all the pieces and all this stuff. And even though he retired from driving... Richard is just as busy as ever keeping his 43 car on the track. I never looked at the business part. I just looked at, you know, I love driving a race car. It takes money to to make things work, okay? Will money help bring his young, hotshot driver to the top level of the sport? Bubba's personality is just great. We feel like he's got the talent once we can get him a little bit better car. And it isn't like when he was coming up through the ranks. Racing now is so technical that You have engineers now that just sit there and look at them computers and try to figure out, you know, if we move this and move that, will it make this better over here? You know, the Junior Johnsons and uh, Bud Moores, the Woods Boys, Petty Enterprises, we're all done in the backyard. You see around here, this is where it all started. From the heart
0: of motorsports in North Carolina, the Fox 8 Sports Team presents NASCAR Dirty Air. Fast friends. Dangerous enemies. And now, here's your host, Kevin Connolly, along with the Fox 8 sports team. Very special treat today as we're talking NASCAR racing with none other than Richard Petty, the king of NASCAR. Richard, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming back. Uh, It's awesome. I really don't even know where to start. I mean, you've had such an unbelievable Mm. career, an unbelievable life. But I'm going to start with the nickname, The King, (laughs) where did that come about and who coined the phrase that has stuck with you your entire life? You know,
1: uh, I think uh, long 66, 67, we were winning a bunch of races, uh, 67, won 27 races. And, uh, you know, some reporter somewhere wrote, you know, The King or something like that and then everybody just picked it up. So uh, I I think that's, uh, basically when it all started. How do you feel about
0: that being known as the king? I mean, that, that's, well, that's, you know, pretty I, always high. Told,
1: I always told him if a name had been Joe or Bill, it wouldn't be King Joel, Joe or <laughs> Richard just happened to make it work with King because they've heard of, of an English king. It was named Richard. So uh, it was sort of come automatic.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, your career at Daytona in particular, yeah. the seven Daytona 500 victories. I mean, why were you so good at Daytona?
1: Well, it, it wasn't me. It was, it was a whole combination. Petty Enterprises uh, was just great. For some reason, we worked all winter. Of course, everybody did to get ready for Daytona because that was our Super Bowl or World Series, all world in one. We just started the season with it. Uh, but my dad ran the very first 500-mile race down there and uh out of petty enterprises and pete hamilton won in 1970 with a petty enterprise car and uh, then we were fortunate enough to win seven of them so uh, pretty good record there for the first 20 25 years i think we won a third of the races they had down there and uh it was just one of the deals that i don't know i mean you know you you look at things and you do everything and everybody else done the same thing we had a lot of good luck uh i think it Two or three of the races, three or four of the races, I probably won because I had the quickest car. Two or three of the races, we won because of strategy or because somebody else had trouble. So mm-hmm. it, it just sort of worked out in the, in the long run. Right.
0: Now, every, not everything was great at Daytona. I can remember the spectacular <laughs> crash of the car, oh, yeah. you know, up on its nose, barreling down the road. What do you remember about that?
1: Well, you know, I think it was 87, 86, 87, 88, somewhere Right, uh, you know, we was just running along there. wasn't running good. I didn't. My career went really good to the early eighties, uh, or somewhere early nineties. Yeah, early eighties somewhere. Right. <laughs> yes, early eighties, and then you know it's, it fell off like uh, all athletes or all teams and stuff do, and uh, so in uh, eighty eight struggling along pretty good, and uh, we got got caught up in a wreck and. You know, it, it was just one of those deals where it was more spectacular uh, than it hurt. You know, mm-hmm. of course, tore the car, all the pieces and all this stuff. But um, as far as I was concerned, it w- wasn't that big a deal. Uh, well, it was a big deal. <laughs> uh, but we'd had wrecks before and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was just one of the deals that happens in that, you know, all of our career at Daytona has been good and bad. My dad got hurt and really ended his career in in 61 because of the Daytona wreck. But then we came back and kind of recovered from that kind of stuff. And then like I say, 88, we had that bad wreck. And uh, it just, I guess it kind of evens itself out. You know, you run long enough, you got good, bad, and then you got indifference. So Mm -hmm. we got in the indifference and it just, uh, just, Daytona has really been good for my career because Daytona is the very first race. It's our biggest race. And if you win Daytona, you're winner all year long, whether you run another race or win another race. So that being a deal of being in the winter, being the first um, big race, of then people all over the United States, all over the world really, because there wasn't any racing going on anywhere. So mm-hmm when you race at Daytona, then everybody in the whole, you know, in Canada, in England or wherever, they hear about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, it's been a big boost to, uh, to my career.
0: i tell you, I love the big tracks. I love Daytona. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's the speed, it's, it's the danger
1: factor. I mean. Yeah, I'd say I don't ever look at any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, we were in Martinsville and you feel like you're running just as fast at Martinsville as you do at Daytona, because the environment's the same. They, at Martinsville, everything's real close, so you run by them walls like that. And at Daytona, the walls are usually further away, and you don't realize the speeds and stuff uh, until something happens, and right. then you realize how fast you're going. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little about uh, your current team. Bubba Wallace is yeah. your, your driver. Talk a little about Bubba uh, in particular. Yeah. What do you like about him? Why, why did you pick him Bubba, as your driver?
1: Bubba's personality is just great. He, he he meets little bitty kids and presidents. It doesn't make any difference. He, he's he got a really outgoing personality. Uh, we feel like he's got the talent once we can get him a little bit better car because he's proven himself in in a truck series when he had a pretty good car, pretty good truck, you know, he was able to win, win some races. So, and all through his career, in every aspect, he's he's won races, so we know he's capable of winning cup races if we can get him a good enough race car. So far, uh, some of our sponsorships and stuff, we don't have the monies and and equipment and stuff that a lot of the first-class teams have. We're working for it, working on it. Uh, but if we can ever get halfway there, then uh, we feel like it, uh, Bubba's got the talent. He's got the want to. Uh, you know he's he's really really after it, and uh, again I, I think he fits the petty mold as far as being able to associate with people, mm-hmm. work with um, sponsorships, work with the tracks, work with the fans. Uh, so you know he's pretty popular with the fans because he can knows how to communicate with. Them. I think uh, I always look at look at him. He's like 26 year old, 16 year old kid. Okay, <laughs> you know, but he's real versatile. He can. He can talk to, you know, people that, that run companies and stuff, and then he can, he can talk to, to kids. So, you know, I, th- I think he's got a good uh, broad covering from that standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I guess from the, from the business side of things, is, is that the most challenging part of being a, a team owner is, is attracting those sponsors, pulling in those resources, you know, to make your car go yeah, fast.
1: De- definitely, you know, it takes money to uh, to make things work, okay, and uh, the more money you got, then the better chance you got of getting the right people and the right equipment, uh, right situations, and uh, so we, as far as cup racing now, right now, really depends on outside monies coming in. There's not enough monies uh, from, you know, people coming to the grandstands, uh, you know, doing the TVs and all that stuff. We have to have uh, seed money, I guess, is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so you gotta have something at the beginning of the year to to know that you can make it all the way through the year and maybe improve things as you go along. And it takes money to improve things. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we were very dependent on, uh, on sponsorship.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when did you really kind of learn you know, the the whole business side of it. Was it just working right alongside (laughs) with your father?
1: I I still ain't learned it. I think that's the problem. Uh, You know, uh, when when I first started, uh, you know, my dad was winning races, winning championships, and I worked on his car. Then I got old enough and I started driving the deal. And I I never looked at the business part. I just looked at, you know, I I love driving a race car. And so whatever it takes outside of that, as far as do working with fans, working with sponsors and stuff, to get enough money to get me a race car. And uh, so even when I quit driving, it was hard to, and still is hard to get the driving part out of me. Because I, I sit there and I watch the race and I said, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Or, you know, who's who's doing that? Don't they know better than that? But I can't convey that to, to my driver or to any of the other drivers. And so it gets kind of frustrating watching uh, how NASCAR has changed the rules, uh, how the different drivers drive. Uh, you know, when I, when I was driving, then I knew the drivers. I knew their, their habits. And so when you could race with them, you, you knew what you could do with them and what they could, what they'd do to you. And, uh, you know, but then when I'm watching these people now, you know, I, I don't really know them because I'm not out there with them. So uh, it just gives me a different perspective on, you know, w- what I think needs to be done and then what's happening. So uh, it, sometimes it gets frustrating and then uh, sometimes everything works out OK. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I get, and it's a pretty small fraternity. I mean, there's 40 cars <laughs> right. out there. I mean, so who was the driver that maybe was your, your biggest rival or the driver that maybe frustrated you the most, who was the hardest <laughs> no. to race?
1: Probably, uh, I always say David Pearson, He, I felt like that uh, he made me better. I think I made him better. I think we challenged each other, and it probably made both of us better drivers against the other drivers. Uh, you know, you still had, you know, Kelly Yarborough and the Allisons, you know, uh, Waltrips. You had these people that were really, really good, but you, you didn't really... I guess you just went ahead and raced with him, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, to, with me and David, it was kind of a, a one-on-one deal. You know, I'm going to beat you, and if if I beat you, I win the race. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was pretty interesting. So, so during
0: races, you you were acutely aware of where David Pearson was on the track.
1: Yeah, well, sometimes and sometimes not. It's according to how how the race went. Uh, a lot of times, we'd just come down and just be the two of us. Uh, racing for the win for the last hundred miles or whatever it was then other times I wasn't in the, in the show I was not up our racing with him or he wouldn't up our racing with me uh, You was racing with kale or Allison or some of them boys. So, uh, you know Every race that you ever run is different. Every lap is different uh, Every situation that you run into is different. So you you have to go back in I guess it's, it's like uh, an instinct. You don't think about it, you just do it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you have such a unique perspective. I mean, you have been at the very infancy of NASCAR to the, where it's grown to this point. When you first started, could you ever imagine that it would become well, this mega industry? You know,
1: this, this, is, this will be my 71st year. Of racing, I was uh, like 11 years old when my dad ran the very first race in 1949 in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they were just strictly, strictly stock cars. They took the hubcaps off and, you know, put a number on the car and said, "Go!" I mean, you know, And now they're just they're all-out race cars. Uh, you know, there's not not anything stock on the stock car. Uh, I think they just call them NASCAR cars now. Uh, they don't call them stock cars anymore. And uh, so we've seen all that. Over a period of time and from time to time, you know, technology is taking over. In other words, everything's electronic now. You got electronic uh, injection on these cars. And when the cars are running around the racetrack, uh, the guys in the pits know when you're on the gas. They know when you're on the brake. You know, they know how much you turn in the steering wheel. They know all this kind of stuff. So the technology is really what has changed racing uh and we go back to the reason the technologies are it took money Mm -hmm. to to buy the technology to to learn the technology so uh, you know it all comes back to money money changes everything Mm -hmm. and uh, like i say racing now is so technical that you have engineers now that just sit there and look at them computers and try to figure out you know if we move this and move that will it make this better over here you know and, uh, they never even go to the racetrack. All they do is just do computer work. So, uh, it got a little bit out of, out of hand from, from us, from, you know, the Junior Johnsons and, uh, Bud Moores, uh, the Woods boys, Petty Enterprises. We all done it in the backyard. You see around here, this is where it all started. And then it got to be uh, so technical and, uh, as it got technical, it got expensive and, uh, you know, we just didn't have the resources then to, to try to keep up with all the new technology.
0: Do you miss the simpler times?
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know, sometimes the good old days wasn't snaggum good, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You look back on where you came from or what you done and stuff, and you pick out the good stuff, you know what I mean? So you had a bad week, but you had one good day, so you remember the one good day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so you know you live life and you know things have have to change it i mean you know we we still don't want to have to uh follow a horse around in a buggy and all this you know like our grandparents did or great-grandparents so we know changes is coming and you just have to say okay this is the way it is don't try to uh change it you know let it let it sort of play out same thing with a race car It plays out every year. We have different rules and stuff like that. Uh, And sometimes you like the rules. Sometimes you don't like the rules. But those are the rules. So you have to then apply yourself and your team to get the very most out of whatever the situation is. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you you think NASCAR is too involved in changing all the rules from year to year? Sometimes the rules change from week to week. Should they just kind (laughs) of... Leave it. And yeah, let it you know. Go. It, it,
1: yeah, sometimes you sit down and say, you know, let's just start, whether it's good, bad, or different and just run all year and don't change anything. You know what I mean? But what we do is start with the rules, and then something comes up that probably needs to be changed. So they have to again try to keep up with the times. I mean, it's like the safety deals of of where we first started with the race car. All you had was a seat belt and a helmet. You know, now the car's, the guy's set in a cocoon. They got a, all the roll bars and air conditions and all the safety deals that we can come up with right now. Uh, safe walls around the racetracks. You know, we used to run mean, like Hillsborough, North Carolina. Didn't even have no walls around the thing. You just went off in a creek if you went off, went off the racetrack. And uh, so all that stuff has is just, is just happened over a period of time. So you just take it and and do the best you can with it.
0: We're at the Petty Museum here in, in <laughs> Level Cross. Do you wander through the museum and all and look at some of the old cars and just kind yeah. of marvel <laughs> at like, oh my gosh, I'm still here
1: after yeah. driving one of those? Yeah, sometimes you look at the safety deals that, <laughs> that we had against what they got today uh, and wonder how you survived. And then you sit down and you start thinking about, well, you know, you had all these concussions, you broke your neck a couple of times, you broke your shoulders, you broke ribs, you broke your legs, you broke your feet, you know. And hopefully we don't, the drivers don't have to go through that now. You know what I mean? But every time we had a, a wreck or every time anybody um, had a wreck with NASCAR, NASCAR would look at the cars and a lot of the owners and mechanics would look at the cars and say, ooh, if we move this over here, or if we put something here, it'll make it safer. So every accident basically started a new situation to look at safety. So every time you did have trouble, you tried to fix it so that you wouldn't have that same trouble. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you had this many problems to begin with, you're getting it down to this many problems now, mm-hmm. just because uh, people seem, you know, we gotta make it better, we gotta make it safer. Mm-hmm.
0: When you, uh, w- when you go places, when you go to the track, I mean, I, I, I've witnessed it, I've, I've seen it myself. People just flock <laughs> to you and they've done it for years and years and years and you always have a smile on your face when you, when you deal with the fans. Explain how you sort of develop that relationship with you, fans.
1: You know, I don't know, uh, basically, Uh, I ran my very first race in 1958, I think. And maybe one person came up and got an autograph. Then the next race you go to, maybe two or three people, you know, they don't know you, but they know you, race car driver, and they, you know, and then all of a sudden you say, you know, we don't have sponsorship. We don't have factories backing us. Uh, We don't have any backing at all. Those people in the grandstand are paying your bill. In other words, the more people there is up there, the more money you make over here. So the money didn't come from the racetrack. It came from the fans. So then all of a sudden you realize, hey, man, without those fans, then I run a race. I'm not going to get paid. So the more fans we got, the better chance I got if I do win to make money. And so all of a sudden you said, you know, it's not Richard Petty. It says, thank you for being a race fan. You don't have to be a Richard Petty fan. If you're just a race fan, that means you bought a ticket and you're paying paying our bills. So I can go home and tell my wife and kids, they, you know, we're going to have food on the table tomorrow, so everything's going to be, be okay. Do you think today's driver
0: appreciates the fan enough?
1: It, it, it's just a different society. They grew up in a different society. Uh, atmospheres is different. Sponsorships are different. They've got different obligations. Now, when these drivers go to the racetracks and stuff, then they've got sponsor obligations because they've got sponsor on the side of the car or they, they're working with a certain company. They have to really spend more time politicking, I guess, more than than they have time at the fans. Plus, you know, we used to go to the fans, go to the racetrack and you have, you know, eight to 10,000 people, you know, Now you got 50 or 60,000 people. It'd be kind of hard to take care of that many many people. And uh, so, again, the whole situation is different. You know, the drivers now have to be interviewed by TV, uh, radio, uh, you know, print ads and all that stuff. Used to, maybe we had two or three reporters covered all the races. So you just talk to them one time and, you know, then you had time to go and really socialize with other drivers, owners, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Where now everybody gets to the racetrack, they're so busy concentrating on just their little thing, what they gotta do, that they don't have time to to really socialize with a lot of other things. Mm -hmm.
0: Is is there a driver that's out there today that is maybe the most like you in terms of your driving (laughs) style? I hope not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, you, you see different uh, qualities uh, in different people. You, you like the way this guy drives, but you don't like the way he handles his personal personal stuff. Mm. You like this guy's personality, but he can't drive a lick. <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> or you don't think he can. Right. Uh, so it, it's it's really hard to to pick out anything in 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 that vein.
0: What's the uh, what's the best advice? you were ever given? And what's the best advice
1: you feel <laughs> you've given out to uh, somebody? Man, you know, if if I just took a little bit of the advice that I'd had, I'd be a lot better shape, <laughs> okay? And being I'm not, and being I don't take advice, then it's hard for me to give other people advice. The deal with giving advice to people is that you don't understand all sides. In other words, if I talk to you, and you just say bam 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 and i say okay this is what you need to do but i don't know all the other circumstances that you're working with or against so i can't give you really good advice uh, because i don't have i don't have all the cards on, in my hand so uh, the best thing to do is not get in the middle so don't give advice to anybody on anything <laughs>
0: <laughs> when uh, you obviously started your career racing against your father kyle started racing against you what was it what was it like you know maybe the first time you passed your dad and beat your dad and then what was it like when kyle passed you and beat you
1: see it's it's really uh really odd is that the basic deal with me and my father where my father had had, you know eight to ten years experience when i started okay we ran in races together but we never raced each other because he was up here and I was down here, okay? By the time I started catching up, he retired. Mm-hmm. So we really never raced each other on the racetrack. And basically the same way with Kyle. When Kyle came along, I was going this way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we probably met each other in the middle somewhere. <laughs> uh, but we re- really never raced against each other as far as, you know, I gotta get around him or he's gotta get around me. Mm-hmm. We were in the same races, but I don't really remember ever really racing with him. Mm-hmm.
0: oh well, that's interesting. That's interesting. How um, how would you feel or how would you like to be remembered?
1: <laughs> you know. That, I know you've been asked that question that, a lot. That's a tricky question. The big deal is everybody that's ever met you, everybody that's read about you, everybody knows about you, has a different opinion. In other words, it might be the, the major... Opinion might be the same, but there's things around that still and I always looked at it and said look Some people go remember you as a good guy. Some of them remember you as an okay guy some members don't like you at all the big deal Is that you're remembered whether you're good bad or indifferent.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. That is true your schedule you I mean you keep an unbelievable <laughs> schedule Um how much longer can you keep going at the pace that you go?
1: (laughs) I guess I'll go into love. I'll just keep doing it. And that, that's really, really helped me. When I did get out of the race car, we started doing sponsorship deals, making appearances, Mm -hmm. you know, doing little politics now and then, you know, just doing a a bunch of different. So I feel like as long as I can stay halfway healthy and stay busy, then that keeps the age and the, the whole deal from catching up. And, uh, so as long as I can get up in the morning and run all day and you know lay down at night, then and still still make it to where I need to go, uh, you know, it's it's one of the deals where we've been fortunate. Racing gives us a chance to go all over the world, see different uh, vineyards, uh, different societies, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, so in in doing that, then the racing has been been really really great for us. to to expose us to all the rest of the world and makes you appreciate what little you do have. Mm -hmm.
0: Where's maybe the most interesting place that you were recognized worldwide?
1: (laughs) It doesn't make any difference. I mean, we've been to Australia, people recognize you, been to England, been to France. There's somebody that's from home or they've seen you or heard tell of you, you know, and you know, you don't walk around with Richard Petty wrote on your <laughs> shoulder and stuff. Most of the time you go, and a lot of times I don't even wear my cowboy hat. I Either wear another kind of hat or no hat at all. And, you know, but you gotta figure, we've been doing this for, like I say, 71 years. And you've been exposed all over the world to TV, to ads, to promotions and all this kind of stuff. For that, that's a long, long time, man. And you know, if the dads remember you, or the granddads remember you, then they they tell their sons, and then the sons, you know, tell their their sons. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're recognized in a lot of different ways. Uh, I think, uh, I, I look at it now, uh, the movie Cars that came out with, with me being Mr. The King and all that, all the little kids, they don't know Richard Petty, they know Mr. The King. You know what I mean? So that's, that's really brought me to the forefront with a lot of younger people that's, that's never seen a race, never heard of a race, but they've seen the movie. So they can, when they come to the museum and stuff, we've got one of the cars over there that's that's fixed up just like Mr. The King and got one that's just like Mrs. The King. Uh, and the kids, they are coming in the front door and these are sitting in the, they go straight back there because that's something that they can associate with. These cars around here, they, they can't associate with mm-hmm. because they were too young, they don't understand the racing part. And so uh, that, that's that been a big plus on us. So, you know, when you do go to England or somewhere, uh, we go to Goodwood about every year. That's the biggest car show in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's people from all over the world come there and those are car oriented people. So they recognize race car drivers and, and different stuff. So. It's no big deal when you're going through a crowd like that because it's your crowd. Mm. You know, I mean, they know you; they've heard tell of you. But you know, just walking down the street in London or something, and somebody says, "Hey, Richard, how you doing?" <laughs> so hey, I'm doing fine. Glad to see you. Just keep <laughs> on track. Of.
0: Yeah, we're we're surrounded by you know fabulous cars from your career. Do you have a favorite race car?
1: <laughs> Not really. I, no? I, I I guess really. Uh, when you are driving that particular car, that was your favorite you know, and then you go to the next year's model uh you know you go from a stock car, you go to the superbird deal, then you go back to you know regulars car again uh and you know we got one car over there that we won like I don't know, 35 36 races just in that one race car, you know what I mean, and then you got one over here that you won one race in but the one race was just as important to add on to the other the 30 or whatever it was that you had. Mm-hmm.
0: I thought you'd say the the, the Charger that's right behind <laughs> us over here, because that's, that, that's the that one. Was,
1: that was one of my favorite cars because we ran that car for like four or five years mm-hmm. with the same basic body style. And uh, we won a bunch of races. Mm-hmm. That was probably the best overall car we had as far as being able to run on super speedways uh, dirt tracks, uh, road courses, you know, uh, it didn't make any difference. The car was just naturally from Detroit. That's before we had all the fancy spoilers and all this kind of stuff on. And it was just a natural, good race car. It was a good, balanced car. So uh, it, we won a bunch of races and it was just really, really fun to drive that kind of car.
0: Because, you know, when I was 11 years old for Christmas, I got one of those slot car tracks. Okay. and that was one of the cars on it and that's that's like always been my favorite that was favorite one because that was one of my i love that i love that christmas present so going going forward how where do you see richard petty and richard petty motorsports you know, at the end of this year or two years from now three years from now
1: you know i, I think that's what gets us up every day but we don't know okay it's Tomorrow is unknown. We think we know what's going on. We plan for tomorrow. We plan for next week or next year. Uh, But there's no need of getting too far ahead because things change so fast. Situations change, society changes. uh, Things that you don't have any control over. Uh, You know, I I sort of look at a philosophy that, I I believe in 90-10. 90% of the things that we do are reactive. We think we're controlling things, but we don't control near as much as what we'd like to or what we think we do. Because, you know, you're you're busy working on a car and whatever, and then the phone rings, then that's 90%. It takes you away from your 10% of what you really wanted to do that day. You're off on something else. So other people influence you a lot more than what you think, and circumstances influence you. The weather influences you. I mean you get up in the morning and you say, okay, I gotta go mow the yard. It's raining. Your whole day's changed. <laughs> okay. Then you gotta rethink what's going on. And those are situations beyond your control.
0: Well Richard, thank you very much. Yes, sir, man. I appreciate thank it. Thank you guys. I'm telling you, I could sit here all day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we're both full of it, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to NASCAR Dirty Air. Follow us on MyFox8.com.